Here is the old-timey sermon illustration. Sitting lately, says one, in a public room at Brighton, not Michigan, where, where an infidel was haranguing the company upon the absurdities of the Christian religion, I could not but be pleased to see how easily his reasoning pride was put to shame. He quoted such passages as, I and my father are one, and I in them, and thou in me, Finding his hearers not disposed to applaud his blasphemy, he turned to one gentleman and said with an oath, Do you believe such nonsense? The gentleman replied, Tell me how that candle burns. Why, answered he, the tallow, the cotton, and the atmospheric air produce the light. Then they make one light, do they not? Yes. Will you tell me how they are one in the other and yet but one light? No, I cannot. But you believe it. He does not say he did not. The company, smiling at his folly, <laughs> instantly made the application, upon which the conversation was changed. This may remind the young and inexperienced that if they believe only what they can explain, they may as well part with their senses, being surrounded by the wonderful works of God, whose ways are past finding out. And I think it's also worth quoting Augustine, who once said that to not think about the Trinity is to risk heresy, but to think about the Trinity is to risk lunacy. Uh, so let's think about the Trinity and get loony in here today uh, and talk about through five and six. No joke, for real, for real. This is a thing we're doing. All right, let's first look at question five, which is fairly easily dealt with. Are there more gods than one? And the answer? No. <laughs> Given in the catechism? There is but one only, the living and true God. Okay. Now, the proof text given there is Deuteronomy 6.4. Someone please open up to that one. That's the fifth book of the Bible. And it's in the Old Testament, Aaron. Everyone's lax because Roger's not here. There's, there's no champion. There's no Johnny Lawrence in the room. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Right, so that is called the Shema. It's the basic creed of Israel, of Judaism. There is one God, and you might say, well, of course, if you worship God, there's one God. Not a given in that uh, environment. And so the Lord is one. The Lord is one. That becomes, of course, problematic um, for the Jews as Christianity begins to rise because it seems to be teaching more than one God um, at first blush. Uh, Isaiah 45:22 might also be worth jotting down. I am God and there is none else. So there is one God. Someone also look up the other proof text, Jeremiah 10:10. 10, 10. What was your Isaiah 45:22? 45:22. But the Lord is the true God, he is the living God and the everlasting king. At his wrath, the earth will tremble, and the nations will not be able to endure his indignation. That is so hardcore. So, the living and true God, taken directly from that passage. He's living, which, oh, I wish we still had all those uh, seven uh, lower-tier lower uh, attributes out, because uh, that has to do with his being. True, that has to do with his truth, both of those we're already part of the previous answer, what is God? We looked at both of them last week. Uh, and there's really only room for one God in that he fills heaven and earth. Where would any other gods be? And so when you go through all of those attributes, you can't, 
you can't have any other God. Right? They're, they're all dependent on the notion that this God is, in fact, infinite. And therefore, uh, if, if you have more than one infinite or omnipotent or almighty or immutable or eternal, you have just nonsense. It, 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 it's, it's a uh, game in kind of um, logical contradiction. Uh, and true God, and that, that does leave open the room for false gods, but not other true gods. And there are many false gods uh, that is way, way at the top of the Ten Commandments, which, of course, we will deal with in due course in the, in the Catechism. But even those that are acknowledged in the Bible, ultimately, they're nothing. Paul will say, we know, I know, an idol is nothing. So, yeah, if I can get, you know, clearance on food sacrifice to idols, sweet. Unless it's going to, you know, mess with someone else's faith. But an idol's nothing. These other gods, they're nothing. They're not the God who is. They're the gods who aren't. Uh, so that's question five. Any thoughts on that or questions for the group to mull over? In, like, the larger catechism, do they list, like, an exhaustive list of all the places that in Scripture you're told that God is one? Because it seems like there's probably a lot more. Well, honestly, I believe, I'm quite sure, because I've seen different versions with different proof texts, that the, the proof texts are added later um, by subsequent editors. So I, I, don't, I don't know that you're going to necessarily find a definitive grouping of them. It, I do have a question, and you may have already covered this, but when in the Hebrew when it says God and then God's the little g, is that a thing in Hebrew or is it a different word for a one true God? I'm, I'm going to guess there's one true God and then the small gods is a different word. No, no, nope. uh, no. There, I mean, the word Elohim uh, is a plural for God's lowercase g, right? And then it's also a singular for the one true God. So it's the same word. Um, and of course, when we get to question six and we're thinking about the Trinity, that will make a lot of sense. Uh, a plural used for a, a singular, um, although there are plenty of reasons and explanations that, that uh, Unitarians will, will give for why that would be. Uh, but no, th that will just have to be determined by context, whether we're talking about... In fact, even that passage that you brought up on Wednesday night, um, where Jesus says, God calls us gods, uh, are you people gods, in, in this one particular context, same word, Elohim. And of course, there's no capital or lowercase letters for them to rely on either. So yeah, it's all, it's all on context. All right, let's move on to question six then. I think question five is just set up, right, for question six. Uh, and let's read it together. How many persons are there in the Godhead? There are three persons in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and these are one God, the same in essence, equal in power and glory. I missed a word there. These three are one God. Um, where in the Bible do you find the Trinity? That's always a question that is posed by uh, curious or snarky. Wherever I put a little triangle. You put a little triangle wherever little you triangle see? Every time I find it. Okay. When you say it, you mean the concept, not the, concept. Not the God. Because right. the word Trinity is not in the Bible, correct? The word Trinity is not. Nope. 
Well, you see it in, there are psalms that you see it in. You see it, you see it at Jesus' baptism. Jesus' baptism is a classic example uh, often given. Where, how are the three persons of the Trinity present in that event? Well, Jesus is being baptized. Um, the Father speaks and the Holy Spirit comes down in the form of a dove. Right. So three distinct persons. Um, when we talk about errors uh, of Trinitarian thought, we will talk about modalism in which one God is wearing three masks. And I don't know if you've ever gone and seen like a one-man show or one-woman show. You can't play three parts at once without being unintentionally humorous, right? I mean, so if this is what, you know, God, the one God is like, well, right now I'm the spirit. Oh, but now I'm the father. Oh, now I'm the son. You can't have all three present at once. Uh, And so we see there the distinctness of the three persons of the Trinity. Absolutely. Any, anywhere else come to mind? You see it in some of Paul's letters. Isn't it in like Genesis 1 or something? Like man or yeah, yeah. When, when God is uh, speaking the universe, the cosmos into existence, he says, let us create man in our image. Uh, and again, there, there are answers that, that a Unitarian or a, a, someone of a different monotheistic faith would say, even if they held to the Bible, the Old Testament, they could say, well, this is the royal we, or God is talking to the angelic hosts, or something like that. But yeah, it seems like one of those things that, in hindsight, you go, oh, from chapter one, this truth is there. And it's not sussed out completely until much later. Right, because it says in verse two of Genesis 1, that the Spirit of God is hovering over the face of the earth waters. Mm-hmm. It doesn't address Christ until Eve sins, correct? Uh, no, remember in John 1, we find out that everything that exists exists because it was made through Christ. Nothing, nothing that was made was not made by him. So Christ, when we see the, the act of creation, Christ is intimately involved in that. We don't, we don't actually have that laid out until the beginning of the New Testament, but, but that's certainly the case. Uh, and when you say Eve sins, you're talking about the promise in Genesis 3.15 of the coming Messiah. You also have in John, I just found two little triangles, uh, 15, 26, but when the Helper comes, when I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And then a little bit later, in 16, 13, when the Spirit of Truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. For he will take what is mine and declare to you all that the Father has is mine. And therefore it said, he will take what is mine and declare to you. So they're all three there. All right. Yeah, there's, there's certainly a lot of places, especially getting into the, the Pauline epistles, where we would yeah. say yeah, these are all certainly um, three persons of the Trinity present. How about um, if we're looking at, 1 John 5, 7. Everyone turn to that. Anyone here have the King James? No one's got the old. You got the old King James, Barb? Yeah. All right. So this would be the, back, back when the King James was the Bible, this would be the proof text for the Trinity. What does it say there, Barb? 
While she's looking that up, somebody else look up 2 Corinthians 13, 14. I have first John, for there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. There are three who bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. You say, well, that sounds like very overt Trinitarian teaching. Um, who wants to read for us that same verse in uh, modern translation? That sounds very different, right? Now, what's First John 5, 6 in the King James? Yeah, the verse right before the one you just read. This is he that came to water and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. Okay, so when we hear the word, what's 5-7 in the, in the new translation? 5-7? Yeah. Where there are three that testify, the spirit and the water and the blood. And three. Water and blood and spirit you can see how that flows more naturally from verse 6. You can also see why we might have a textual variant here. Some very pious scribe wrote in the margin, yes, there are three that bear witness on earth, the water and the blood, the spirit, and there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Spirit, and these three are one. A little commentary and then it got interpolated into the text. Uh, and that's a very common way for um, a textual variant to enter in these later manuscripts, these, the, the Textus Receptus and the, the Byzantine text. Uh, you can't as easily see why a scribe would change it in the other direction, uh, unless it was a heretical scribe who was trying to scrub the, uh, the Trinity from the text, which is what a King James-only person is going to say is happening here. Oh, yeah, they, they were just erasing the Trinity. Okay, like one verse every 300 years. It's going to take a while, but all right. They're erasing the divinity of Christ. Okay, well, in 7,000 years, we'll have versions that don't have Jesus being divine, I guess. But that, that was one of the passages that was always very easy. There's the Trinity. You take that one away, and we're left having to maybe do a little more difficult work. Who's got 2 Corinthians 13, 14? grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So that is a benediction. You may have heard that somewhere once in a while around here. Um, a benediction clearly placing the three persons of the Trinity in an equal setting. Um, what about, uh, here, here's one, Matthew three sixteen to 17, when Jesus was baptized, went up straight away out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him, and lo, a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. That's what Aaron referenced, Matthew three sixteen and 17. And yeah, that's quite clearly uh, divinity on three, I almost said on three levels, but that's probably a Trinitarian heresy. Uh, three persons. Uh, and what about, so that's way at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, right? Right at the beginning. What about right at the end, the Great Commission? Uh, somebody flip over to Matthew 28, 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. So right at the end as well, 
from the lips of Jesus himself, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, uh, unless we think of these as late additions by the Mithaean community years, centuries later after some new doctrine of the Trinity has been determined, uh, we, we have to acknowledge, I think, that we find these things in Scripture. I have a little video, a fun video for you, and I don't think my clever adapter situation is going to work to make it go through the amp, so it's probably going to be beyond difficult to hear, but let's see. Okay, Patrick, tell us a bit more about this Trinity thing. Yeah, Patrick, tell us. But remember that we're simple people without your fancy education and books and learning, and we're hearing about all of this for the first time, so try to keep it simple, okay, Patrick? Yeah, real simple, Patrick. Sure, there are uh, three persons of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, yet there is only one God. Don't get what you're saying here, Patrick. Not picking up what you're laying down here, Patrick. Could you use an analogy, Patrick? Sure. Uh, the Trinity is like uh, water and how you can find water in three different forms. Liquid and ice and vapor. That's modalism, Patrick! What? Modalism, an ancient heresy confessed by teachers such as Noetus and Sibelius, which espouses that God is not three distinct persons, but that he merely reveals himself in three different forms. This heresy was clearly condemned in Canon 1 at the First Council of Constantinople in 381 AD, and those who confess it cannot rightly be considered a part of the Church Catholic. Come on, Patrick! Yeah, get it together, Patrick! Uh, okay, uh, then the Trinity is like uh, the sun in the sky, where you have the star and the light, and the heat. Oh, Patrick. Come on, Patrick. That's Arianism, Patrick. Arianism? Yes, Arianism, Patrick. A theology which states that Christ and the Holy Spirit are creations of the Father and not one in nature with him. Exactly like how heat and light are not the star itself, but are merely creations of the star. That's a bad analogy, Patrick. You're the worst, Patrick. <laughs> All right, sorry. The Trinity is like... Uh, this three-leaf clover here. I'm gonna stop you right there, Patrick. Yeah, hold your horses, Patrick. You're about to confess partialism. Partialism? Yes, partialism. A heresy which asserts that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are not distinct persons of the Godhead, but are different parts of God, each composing one-third of the divine. And who confesses the heresy of partialism? The first season of the cartoon program Voltron, where five robot lion cars merge together to form one giant robot samurai, Obviously. I've never heard of Voltron. Of course you haven't. It's not going to exist for another 1,500 years now, Patrick. Yeah, get with the program, Patrick. I mean, really, Patrick. I'm going to stab you in the face, Patrick. <laughs> okay, that was probably a bit much. All right, I'll try again. Uh, the Trinity is like how the same man can be a husband and a father and an employer. Modalism again. All right, then it's like the three layers of an apple. Partialism revisited. Fine. The Trinity is a mystery which cannot be comprehended by human reason, but is understood only through faith and is best confessed in the words of the Athanasian Creed, which states that we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, neither confusing the persons nor dividing the substance, that we are compelled by the Christian truth to confess that each distinct person is God and Lord, and that the deity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is one, equal in glory, co-equal in majesty. 
Well, why didn't you just say that, Patrick? Yeah, quit beating around the bush, Patrick. Now let's all put on some giant green foam hats, get riotously drunk, and vomit in the Chicago River to celebrate our conversion. Come on, there's always a tag at the end of Hans Wiener's videos. It's a pretty rough one, way at the beginning. So what do you guys do for a living? Well, we come from a long line of snake farmers, Patrick, but truth be told, business has been real bad lately. Oh. Yeah, about that. <laughs> so poor Patrick is just trying to explain the Trinity, and he keeps falling into all these weird heresies. Um, and that's always going to be the case. Anytime we talk about this with our finite minds, we're going to at least lean toward uh, one or other major heresies uh, or we're going to wind up either inventing a new one or getting into um, some kind of misleading understanding of, of who God is in Trinity. What Do you remember any of them that were just named in uh, Donald and Connell's roasting of poor Patrick? Modalism. And what was that? Right, so overemphasizing the oneness. Remember we said last week you want to embrace these tensions, not try and alleviate them. We go all the way to the one side and say we're not going to reject the Trinity, but we're going to over-oneify it, uh, and you go with modalism. So, for example, Aaron is a mother, she's a wife, she's a daughter. These are three things, one person, yeah, but they're just three roles. So again, the modalism would be, there's one God, and he sometimes manifests as the Father, sometimes as the Son, sometimes as a Spirit. We had an issue with this um, when we had a group meeting here that started taking part in what's called Jesus-only baptism, uh, where they said, uh, we're going to baptize in just the name of Jesus because the Father is also Jesus and the Spirit is also Jesus. And we would say, well, it says right here, name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. They said, yeah, but what that means is, name of Jesus, because they're all three of Jesus. No, they're not. Uh, likewise, I don't know if you've ever accidentally found yourself publicly praying and thanking the Father for dying on the cross for your sins. That didn't happen. Um, so we want to be careful to keep the persons of the Trinity distinct. That was the water one too, right? The water being... Yeah, yeah, different modes of water. Yeah, you're talking about, you're talking about steam, liquid, and ice. Um, yeah, and that's, that's often used to just kind of shut down children when they're curious. Don't shut them down. Why? What? Uh, or the cherry pie thing that he tried to get into, right? You've got the crust layer, you've got the goo, and you've got the actual cherries. Uh, and so three elements of one pie, partialism, right? Because those three things make, or the egg. You got the shell, you got the white, you got the yolk. Partialism, still overemphasizing the oneness but now instead of saying three different roles, we're saying three different parts of. So this becomes God is one, and a third of him is father, a third of him is son, a third of him is spirit. And that was the shamrock as well? Yeah, yeah, the, the three-leaf clover, not a great uh, analogy. In fact, I, I don't know, it, it, that one, um, allegedly dating back to Patrick, I, don't, I think that may be apocryphal, 
uh, but it seems to almost go both directions, emphasizing the threeness of these kind of different nodes on the thing and then overemphasizing the oneness in that. Uh, and, and I get where he's coming from, right? It's growing from one stem. There's one kind of essence to it. And you understand if you're dealing with people who've never encountered this, like with the candle in the old-timey illustration, what was the problem there? They're making a light, but they're not the light, right? The three parts. So sort of like the sun, the heat, and the light. Right, right. So now, was it okay to use that? Yeah, because in that context, he wasn't saying this is what the Trinity is. He's saying you can't explain that in, you know, cut and dry, perfect terms. And I can't explain this. It doesn't mean that it's not true. Just like you can see that light and you know that's really there. So if you're saying to kids, um, you know, there's sometimes and something can be three in one sense and one in another sense, but be very careful because it, minds will gravitate toward an easy answer. And if I, if I walk away, I remember being at youth retreats at Lake Louise where they brought in the speaker for the weekend and hearing some of this garbage and taking it with me and thinking, oh, good, okay. Or Mike Warnke, remember that uh, uh, he was a Christian comedian who had claimed that he was like a devil worshiper uh, for like 20 years. He became a best-selling author, became a Christian. It turned out he was never a devil worshiper, and he was just uh, kind of a, a scam artist. But he would always bring up the cherry pie thing um, and say, see, there's easy answers for all this stuff if you're just willing to look. No, there's not. We're talking about the God of the universe who is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. There's not easy answers. If there were easy answers, we'd have the wrong God we were describing. Uh, how do you overemphasize the three? That becomes polytheism, right? I have heard um, it's more and more popular. Even, um, I think it was Alan Plantica at, uh, or, or Neil Plantica at Calvin Seminary, who was using the illustration of the Cartwright family. Um, saying, well, it's one family, but you got Haas, you got Ben, you got little Joe. They're all distinct, but they make one clan. What's well, way overemphasizing the threeness, right? Three gods in one family. Well, the Romans had that. I mean, if you could do the, you know, kind of alphabet soup to figure out who's related to who in that. So, and the, the Egyptians had that. That's this polytheism. Uh, and you're forgetting that Adam was one of the Cartwrights, and why does he get shafted all the time? Come on. Um, quick question. So you, we mentioned Arianism, and that was the star being like the father of producing light and heat. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I'm trying to figure out how to say the son and the spirit are produced by the father. Is that like... Well, yeah, so Arianism is the, the heresy, one of the first heresies ever condemned at the Council of Nicaea, and then again a couple more times, that Jesus is the highest created being. So if he is kind of the light coming out of the star that is the father, that was great, Peter Brady. Let's try that again for the internet. <laughs> the light that is the father, better with you people than with the whole group. Um, then he's not God in essence. He's kind of produced by God. Now, what about begotten? Yeah, he's begotten, not made. We just want to be careful that Jesus doesn't become a byproduct of God the Father. That's that's an easy um, answer to the tension as well. Just go way over to the three side and say, oh yeah, there's God, and then there's, uh, you know, who created everything. There's Jesus who saves us. There's the Spirit who helps us. All three of them are important, but make sure you're teaching one essence, that they share one essence, one, um, and, and when we get into the 
the language in the Greek, the big um, the thing that Alex posted on my wall this week with Saint Nick jacking uh, Arius in the face uh, as they were quelling Arianism, because that's what Saint Nick was doing. He, he's here to give out gifts and punch heretics, and he's all out of gifts. Um, it was over one letter, homoousios or homoousios. So is is God of one uh, nature? With Christ, or is Christ of like nature to God? This becomes incredibly important as to how we understand who Jesus is. And Trinitarian theology is, is forming first around the divinity of Christ, and then, and then the, the Holy Spirit kind of becomes a, a touch point later. Um, I think there are maybe some ways, as long as you acknowledge right off the bat they will be imperfect, to actually represent in a helpful way that isn't clearly leaning way in the direction of one heresy or the other, um, the, the Trinity. What, what are some of them? What are some that you've heard? That aren't heretical? Yeah. I heard the one that's like comparison to um, Flatland, how God exists in higher dimension and can come in, you know, like when people explain 3D and 4D and 2D and the 2D and 3D. Okay. That may be over my head. How, how are the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit represented in the well, like dimensions there? Well, like a 3D object. So it has like three arms. And it comes into 2D land, you'll see it in three. Uh-huh. Distinct things in the, in the flat land. Oh, that's modalism, Patrick. <laughs> They're all gonna. They're all gonna lean one way or the other. What else have you have you heard? Or or seen visual representations, right? There's one here. There's two here. A triangle, right? What what which problem would we have with the triangle? Emphasizes the the oneness, right? It's got three sides, but it's one. one there's not three distinct persons. Yeah, there's three different pieces. So it may be partialism now. Each of these three pieces represents a person in the Trinity making one object. Uh, same thing with this. What did we determine that to be called? That's not the triqueta. I don't remember. You looked it up one night at uh, Vespers. <laughs> similar, similar kind of thing. Um, here's, I think, a, a good one. And I'm, I, you have to draw it perfectly in order for it to work. And I can't draw it perfectly, but pretend that I have here. So we've got... Uh, oh, this is going to be hard to do. Yeah, this is very imperfect, but you'll see what I'm trying to do. Um, this kind of Celtic knot, it would have to be all co-equal and perfectly symmetrical and everything. But the interwoven, in a lot of the, the Celtic Christian tradition, you see this kind of interwovenness, but making one object. Um, in that sense, maybe it's not partialism. Maybe it's not too far in, in one direction or the other. Um, I thought that enough to get that. I had to stop and think, do I have that tattooed on me? No, no, I don't. Um, but, but I would. Um, so, so there's that. Uh, there's also, what about the, that's visual. What about the oral, a chord with three notes in it, right? You know, when somebody sits down and they play three notes and they play them together, the notes are distinct together. They make one chord. You take any of those notes out, you don't have that chord, and this is where my knowledge of music theory is probably going to fail me. Barb, you can help me out. 
right? This, this may be one of the better ways to understand it because you can hear it and just go, oh, yeah, together it's this thing that shares in essence, you know, musically, it's all part of one uh, expression. And yet, and maybe then it's still partialism because these are, but, but each note is its own, I don't know. Again, you, you, you've got to acknowledge they're all imperfect right off the bat. My favorite, um, I got a free t-shirt from Missional Wear with this one on it. Um, and it's usually got Latin going on, but we'll just put uh, letters for English words. The Father, again, this isn't going to be perfect, but imagine that it is. Uh, the Son, and I think the more complicated you get them, the easier it is to avoid the heresy because you, you build in all these loopholes for it. And in the middle, you put God, uh, Holy Spirit. And in the Latin, it's est and non est, but we'll just say is and isn't. So the Father is God. The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. The Son, non est, is not the Father. The Father is not the Holy Spirit, and the Son is not the Holy Spirit. This is a way to sum up the Athanasian Creed. And when you, I'll read the Athanasian Creed, the, the kind of Trinity part for you, the first half, uh, and you'll see why it's helpful to have a quick visual representation so you don't have to uh, sit there and wrestle with all the, the layers of uh, different statements and stuff. Um, this is truly about as close, I think, as you can get. Yes, the Father is God. Yes, the Son is God. Yes, the Spirit is God. But not three gods, one God. And how can that be? Well, he, maybe, the, maybe that's when the third dimension comes into play, right? You're watching something on the 2D screen, and you're like, if I could see it with the additional insight that God has, um, he can understand himself. I can't ever fully fathom him. I'm looking at him on a, on a flat panel, and, and I'm never going to fully fathom him, and I don't want to. If it was a God that after 10,000 years, I'd finally get my certificate and be like, oh, I got him down, he's still not infinite then. And so he's really still not worth uh, my, my worship and my, my service. Okay, yeah, you have different versions of all these. Arianism, uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses are a version of that, right? Uh, you have um, Ebionites who are kind of divine, denying the divinity of each person. Um, you, you will often hear today people just, not, not theologians, just Christians on the street who haven't been taught well, Speaking of the Holy Spirit, not as a person of the Trinity, but as kind of the force in Star Wars, even referring to the Spirit as it rather than as he, uh, and making the Spirit to be non-personal, that is hugely problematic. There goes the Trinity, um, and we want to be very careful. And, you know, we're going to get more into some more of these heresies specific to Jesus' divinity and his humanity in a later question. Would Unitarians be modalists? Unitarians would just not even be Trinitarians. So they don't have a Trinitarian heresy. Their heresy is denying the Trinity. Yeah, they're just wrong. Um, and, and again, when we say to the youth group, it's so simple. Just think of it this way. Remember, you're, you know, you're stealing a sense of mystery and majesty and awe from someone encountering the infinite God of the universe. Don't, don't do that. Don't do that with your kids. Don't do it with your grandkids. Struggle with it. Um, so what about three branches of government? 
Where, where does that one fall short? Well, it doesn't work. I'm sorry. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> Let's just leave it there. <laughs> like, they have completely different functions, like, and they're keeping, supposedly, keeping each other in check. And that's not really well, a great way to understand. Well, you're getting real deep into the, uh, to it. Now, I think we can find a, on the surface kind of an a priori problem. Okay, so, so they're, but they are part of one government. And they would ultimately, allegedly, all have one goal for the good of the nation, right? Maybe think on that one. It's Sean can't even not laugh. Did you work in government or something? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> I guess, though, isn't this a problem with using any, any item, though? Because that item is created, right? That item is an eternal. So that's already a problem that you run in with using an item to begin with. Mm -hmm. right? The clover had to grow. Clover didn't always exist. Um, the, any, the government, the government was elected and has all this over. Well, that's awfully picky, man. I think the, the idea is... All of this stuff is designed around being picky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But can we let the guy say, here's a thing now, and we don't have to deal with its whole backstory and how it got here. It's just an object lesson. No. <laughs> okay, Alex won't. I think we ought to lead... Because anytime you use a... Uh, I mean, I use the object lesson with the kids every week. And if, if they were like, well, hold on. That thing, you know, that wasn't always there. And I'm like, oh, I... Just wait till Levi gets up there. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah. Um, maybe, maybe mull that one over. Uh, assuming there could be, you know, you, you can fathom of a government that functions efficiently and for the purpose it's meant to and has three branches. But those would be three distinct roles. Yeah, so I think you're getting there already, right? That's partialism. Patrick. By the way, in all subsequent Donald and Connell videos, they call everyone Patrick. Does Donald and Connell meet Richard Dawkins? And they're like, hold up there, Patrick. That's great. Um, and, and I want to say, even with this, sometimes you have <coughs> father and son on top and spirit at the bottom. Sometimes you see it like this. And even in this uh, case, someone's going to say, well, hold on. You now have like somebody at the head and, and, and subservient. But what if it was spinning? If it was <laughs> So like a fidget spinner, and that was a thing for a while. I don't know if you saw it on Facebook or Twitter, people were saying a fidget spinner is a wonderful, because you spin it and you see just the oneness, and then you have the three nodes. Um, but remember, the creed does tell us that the son proceeds from, or, or is begotten by, eternally begotten by the father, begotten, not made, and the spirit proceeds from the father and from the son. So perhaps, you know, in that eternal generation kind of thing, it, we, we might forgive that. Uh, so some metaphors get a little closer, and, and some are just a disaster. The ones, I think, that leave the most to mystery, or, or say the least, um, may be the, the best. Has anybody ever used an atom? I'm sure many people have used it. Yeah. What's the problem with that one? Partialism. Right. Uh, each of those is a part of the atom. Um, and, you know, maybe the fact that you can't know the exact location of the elect. Now that doesn't work, doesn't help. Uh, so familiar to us is the doctrine of the Trinity is. We must never forget what it cost the early church to bring this truth out of the scriptures, to get it put down in the creed. Uh, there's an immense expenditure of, of labor before 
it can be formulated and it's universally uh, held to by the Christian church. Uh, in his chapter on the Trinity, Dr. Hodge, a moment of silence for A.A. A. Hodge, maintains that this doctrine is peculiar to the religion of the Bible and that like all Bible truths, it is not an abstract, speculative, notional truth, but is most fundamental and vital to the whole Christian faith. And, and uh, he quotes Myers uh, saying, The Trinity is the point in which all Christian ideas and interests unite, at once the beginning and the end of all insight into Christianity. Maybe it would be worth mulling that over over the week then. Why is that? Why is the Trinity so important? I know a lot of Christians who would say, yeah, yeah, I believe in that stuff, but I mean, I, I want to talk about the practical things, you know, where the rubber meets the road. Who cares about all this ethereal stuff? You know, I can't get that anyway, so if I can't fully understand it, forget about it. Let's get a why is the Trinity actually so very important? And I think I have the, the couple minutes I need to read to you the first half of the Athanasian Creed, which tells us how to talk about and how not to talk about the Trinity. It says this, Whoever will be saved before all things, it is necessary that he hold the Catholic faith, Catholic here meaning universal, not Roman Catholic, which faith except everyone do keep whole and undefiled without doubt shall he perish everlastingly. And the Catholic faith is this, that we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, neither confounding the persons nor dividing the essence. For there is one person of the Father, another of the Son, and another of the Holy Ghost. But the Godhead of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost is all one, the glory equal, the majesty co-eternal, such as the Father is, such as the Son, and such is the Holy Ghost. The Father uncreated, the Son uncreated, and the Holy Ghost uncreated. The Father unlimited, the Son unlimited, and the Holy Ghost unlimited. The Father eternal, the Son eternal, and the Holy Ghost eternal. And yet they are not three eternals, but one eternal. As also there are not three uncreated, nor three infinites, but one uncreated and one infinite. So likewise, the Father is almighty, the Son almighty, and the Holy Ghost almighty. And yet there are not three almighties, but one almighty. So the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God, and yet there are not three gods but one God. So likewise, the Father is Lord, the Son is Lord, and the Holy Ghost Lord, and yet not three lords, but one Lord. For like as we are compelled by the Christian verity to acknowledge every person by himself to be God and Lord, so are we forbidden by the Catholic religion to say there are three gods or three lords. The Father is made of none, neither created nor begotten. The Son is of the Father alone, not made nor created, but begotten. The Holy Ghost is of the Father and of the Son, neither made nor created nor begotten, but proceeding. So there is one Father, not three fathers, one Son, not three sons, one Holy Ghost, not three Holy Ghosts. And in this Trinity, none is before or after another. None is greater or less than another. But the whole three persons are co-eternal and co-equal, so that in all things, as aforesaid, the unity in Trinity and the Trinity in unity is to be worshipped. He therefore that will be saved, let him think thusly of the Trinity. The second half then will be all about the incarnation of Jesus, which maybe would be good to read uh, right before Christmas. Maybe we'll do that. Uh, but let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for such a mysterious teaching that we cannot fully fathom. Lord, we pray that we would not look for easy answers or to alleviate the tension present in the doctrine of the Trinity, but Lord, that we would stand in awe of you and seek to understand you all the more by it, and that, Lord, we would be 
people who worship Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, Lord, we, we pray that we would worship a, a God in Trinity and see in, in that triune God uh, acts of, of self-giving love from eternity past and recognize that we see in the Trinity even a glimpse into the kind of love that will prompt the Son in obedience to the Father to come and take on flesh and dwell amongst us and die for our sins and rise again. Lord, we thank you for trusting us with this doctrine, knowing that we would biff it at every turn. And Lord, we just pray that we would continually try to understand and look for uh, ways to understand, hints to understand little more of who you are as we read the scriptures. Uh, In your holy name we pray. Amen.